Welcome, Docalos. Yes, that's you. Welcome to the Documenteers Podcast. I am your host, Bob Sham. And each week, myself and an enthusiast discuss a different documentary. And it's often goofy, not safe for work, clip happy fun. It's a Friday drop. You might get a lot more of these when our second year begins. And, and think of this episode like a Hanukkah present because I believe this episode drops in the middle of those eight magical nights. This Hanukkah gift is our first special guest episode. Hopefully, you know this guy. He's one of my favorite podcasters, and he happens to be based here in Nashville. Tyler Mahan Co. joins us, and it's quite possible you're hearing me for the first time and already know about this dude. But in case you don't, let me tell you, he hosts two very entertaining music-themed podcasts. One he co-hosts with Mark Mosley called Your Favorite Band Sucks. You might have seen it written up in some national publications. Tyler and Mark explain why those great bands many people love are not really that great. It makes me laugh even when they trash bands I like, and sometimes it even validates every fiber in your being when you actually do think the band sucks. Rage Against the Machine is not a good band, folks. I'm sorry. Don't walk into that podcast with a puckered up butthole. You'll only be trolling yourself. Make sure that butthole is nice and loose. Tyler's other podcast is one of my favorites amongst all podcasts, and it is quite possibly the best music podcast going. Cocaine and Rhinestones, the history of country music. I'm a big music fan, period, and classic country means a lot to me. Tyler takes his research seriously and does his damnedest to get to an honest place about an industry full of big stories. It might introduce you to some great American music, sometimes Canadian music. I was already a fan of the Leuven Brothers and Buck Owens going in. By the end of season one, I was a Linda Martell and Rusty and Doug Kershaw fan, and plenty more great stories there about some often misunderstood songs and musicians. Tyler and I don't know each other. We met when we came to record. Now, I have these very four excitable dogs and when people i don't know come over i'm never sure how they're going to take this sudden onrush of dog i understand not everybody likes dogs and some people can be uptight about animals mobbing you like you're the beatles a puckered up butthole if you will but tyler didn't wince in the face of excited dogs he dove right in and they loved him that's a good sign of a solid dude if you want a podcast with me you got to dive into my dogs i think the spice girls said that the movie we are discussing is Orson Welles' last true film, a film that may not even truly be a documentary, a film about a pack of fakes, a documentation of the embrace of charlatanism. Fraud is the only truth in Orson's 1973 editing tour de force, F for fake. If you haven't seen this film, it comes highly recommended. Tyler has a lot of history with this film, and we dive into this puppy pile of lies with enthusiasm. I have a very surface knowledge of Orson Welles, but I did forget to mention that one of my favorite anythings regarding Orson Welles is this audio of him I have where he's busting the balls of this radio producer over word usage in this commercial script. I don't understand you then. When must, what must be over for July? Um, when we get out of that snowy field. When I was out, we were onto a can of peas, a big dish of peas when I said in July. At one point he says... Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll go down on you. Which almost sounds like a threat. You know he's lit up to his gizzards in that session. Oh, and that hunks with hats thing? It's a YouTube video ripped from an, uh, a VHS from the 90s. It's got a few country stars on it. You should watch it. Highly recommend it. I promise it will come up on the documentaries again. I don't really think of this podcast as a special guest kind of podcast, but I do have a vested interest in networking with other Nashville podcasts. And Tyler's podcasts are definitely amongst the most popular coming out of this city. I don't know about doing promo stuff for up-and-coming documentaries. I mean, what if I don't like the documentary? I frankly don't want to compromise a feeling or a joke when discussing documentaries with friends for sake of promotion. We bring more fun and enthusiasm than expertise. And in F for Fake, we learn that expertise is a fucking sham anyway. A Bob sham. But networking and podcasting with other podcasters in the city to help Nashville become a viable hub for podcasting? That I can get into. I mean, give me some credit, folks. You know how shitty I am at networking. If you're a Nashville podcaster hearing this and you need some voice, hit me up at documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. At least say hi and let me know who you are. I'd love to check out your show. I know about a few of you already. Hi. Let's get to this so-called 
documentary. Our Super Size Me episode comes out next Tuesday. I think I might have threatened to fight Morgan Spurlock in that one. But right now, we visit our old friend Orson Welles in the film F for Fake with Tyler Mahan Co. Happy Hanukkah. Rest in peace, Roy Clark. Listen to John Anderson. Shout out to Limp Bizkit. Uh, keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Ladies and gentlemen, by way of introduction, this is a film about trickery. And fraud. About lies. Tell it by the fireside or in a marketplace or in a movie. Almost any story is almost certainly some kind of lie. Should be great. Folks, I don't know if you recognize this voice. You're probably listening to this show for the first time because of this voice, uh, and he hosts a couple of great music podcasts. One is Your Favorite Band Sucks with his friend Mark. And if you listen to that show, you might think it's about how all these bands that everyone likes suck ass. But if you listen to it more, you'll realize it's a Limp Biscuit Apologist podcast. I did it all for the boogie, wow, I have been <laughs> spotted. I have been seen. Man. <laughs> and we love new metal here at Corn. Cold Chamber. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Cold Chamber, yeah. y'all. Yeah. We just want to make sure Cold Chamber gets mentioned at some point. Big truck. I am all about songs about big <laughs> trucks. And he also does a show. No shit. I'm not just saying this because he's sitting here. Might be the best music podcast out on the internet right now. Cocaine. And rhinestones. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the compliment. Tyler Manco, welcome to the Documenteers podcast. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here and to talk about this film, uh, F for Fake. When I was going into this movie, as you say, we're talking about F for Fake. I was like, I've seen this, like college, you know, mm -hmm. but I was probably high as fuck. <laughs> don't remember it. I sat down and watched it. I was like, I don't remember this at all. And I'm trying to remember... I saw Citizen Kane. Rosebud. It was like a college age thing that I saw that. And other than that, maybe his cameo in the Muppet movie, which is great. Mm. It's Tracy. Prepare the standard rich and famous contract for Kermit the Frog and company. Transformers. Welcome, Megatron. Unicron, right? He was Unicron. I don't know. The remember. big planet dude. I am Unicron. Sure. Was I thought it was he not? I shouldn't say anything. I don't know anything about Transformers. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only Transformers movie I've ever seen. You cannot destroy my destiny. But yeah, we are discussing F for Fake by Orson Welles. Uh, but it's also directed by Francois Reichenbach. Yeah, is it Reichenbach or Reichenbach? Let's just butcher it both ways. Yeah, yeah, we'll um, fuck all kinds of French names. Well, it up. is complicated. This is this is the kind of thing where after you watch it, you do want to get it on the internet and find out as much as you can about it. Yeah. I first saw this when I was maybe 16 or 17 years old, and it was very impactful on who I am as a person since that the time I saw it, really. And it's just that kind of movie. This thing could change your life. It could change your understanding of what reality is, you know? This movie embraces charlatanism <laughs> it's it's it it proposes that maybe nothing is actually real and we're gonna talk about all that shit <laughs> this might be like a simulation theory uh yeah. you know propaganda sort of thing but talking about the history it started off francois reichenbach uh, but of course you do know my partner francois reichenbach hello reichenbach was making a documentary about elmir dehori an art forger yeah and he hired orson welles to edit it that's it. And you can't just hire Orson Welles to edit something. <laughs> He's going to steal your shit. So he took over the entire project and a lot of the footage in Effort Fake was shot for this other documentary. But I mean, Wells is just remixing it. It's just, this is 
only what I want it to be, and I'm going to make my own version of existence right here. It's so interesting as we do more and more of these documentaries, how there's certain things that certain directors can do that other directors just can't get away with. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a scene where everything <laughs> that Orson is saying, there's like a, an image. Everything's moving very quickly. Mm -hmm. Like, he'll zoom in on a, a, a picture in a magazine to signify the word vacation. And it's not that corny. Like, it's actually kind of it, interesting. It's extremely ahead of its time is what it is, I think. And I think just the pace of it, because the, the way it's... Oh, yeah. Everything's just so deliberate. And there's a part where he's referencing the radio where he's talking about his War of the Worlds days. And you're seeing shots of a radio. Yeah. If fucking Morgan Spurlock did that, I'd be going off on how we should be marching him into the ocean right now. But there's some directors that can pull this off. Werner can kind of inject himself into something and make it interesting. Or like uh, like Penelope Spears in the Decline series. She'll, she asks these questions that seem stupid, but it totally disarms oh, yeah. frustrated punk rock kids and forces <laughs> them to be very honest with her. I looked at the list of everything you did, you've done on the show before. I couldn't listen to all of them. Sure. But I, and some of them I didn't recognize. So I don't know how outside of the scope of documentaries you get on this show, but the amazing, like we're talking about this on a podcast about documentaries and this is not a documentary, right? No. Well, <laughs> it kind of, I would argue that maybe Francois cut yeah. Like his parts are documentary. I think it's like a documentary of Orson Welles' mind. You could make that argument. <laughs> yeah, sure. But yeah, this, I mean, this is all work of fiction. I mean, it's all smoke and mirrors. Yeah. It's, you could maybe look at it like a documentary on bullshit. I mean, it is. It is, yeah. It's bullshit. This like is going to be very difficult to talk about, but I'm <laughs> so excited about it. I mean, so it's in the, I mean, in the first scene of this thing, the audio is very clearly dubbed. Yeah. You know, so it's, you, you know that you're, you're like, wait, this is supposed to be a documentary. How can <laughs> you call it that if you're dubbing lines? It immediately and, looks act. And then later you meet this dude who's an art dealer, who's actually Francois Reichenbach. <laughs> Hello. And in this first scene, he's just an actor. So what in the hell is going on here? Why not? I'm a charlatan. About 10 minutes in this movie, I'm like, I can't trust anything. No, you're right. Yeah. I love the quote at the beginning from Robert Houdin, who Houdini named himself after. Supposedly the greatest magician ever has this quote. A magician, he said, is just an actor. Just an actor playing the part of a magician. I like that a lot because I, I think that that obviously applies to any form of performance art across the board, any form of entertainment. I would say that it also applies just in daily life. Like we're all acting a little bit. Yeah, you know? sure. There's a lot of stuff that you can extrapolate out of this. And then, so uh, the other way you know it's not a documentary is if we're starting off with Oya, Oya Kodar. Up to your old tricks, I see. She's walking down the street, and if I'm not mistaken, there's there are all these guys looking at her, but if I'm yeah. not mistaken, we never see one of them in the same frame right. as her. These reaction shots could be from anything Edited. in reaction to anything. Yeah. There's one dude that's got his hands out. He looks like he's pissed about a lady's ass. <laughs> he probably just got like bumped into, and he's yelling at someone as they walk away, <laughs> right. but we're being told that it's in response to this very beautiful woman. And of course, this is extremely by design. It's to set us up for something that happens way later. It's funny to me how most of the men you see in this movie are middle-aged and up, yeah. and all the women are like hot, young European women. That, that's Orson Welles. That's just Orson <laughs> surrounding himself all yeah. the time. Yeah, and w with no competition. <laughs> There's so much stuff that is that stands out to me when I watch this that maybe wouldn't stand out to someone on their first time through. I've seen this so many times. You right. know, I, again, I, when I, since I was 17, I've been watching this. So he does say, this is a film about trickery and fraud, about lies. And then he says, almost any stories, some kind of lie. But, uh, that cuts right to it. You know, mm -hmm. is anything a documentary? This isn't a documentary, but is anything a documentary? But he says this movie, while about trickery. During the next hour, everything you'll hear from us is really true and based on solid facts. Well, you might mean, be lying. I'm a charlatan. A good story's <laughs> got to have that thin line of truth to it. So oh, I, yeah. It's the, the, but it's you just get frustrated with this movie trying to figure out what parts are true. Because mm -hmm. you're assuming it's all a lie at some point. It has been my experience that once you introduce a camera to a situation, you can't say that you're documenting oh, anything. All bullshit from yeah. that on. Well, because, I mean, have you seen, you've seen Don't Look Back. The yeah. Bob, I mean, yeah. he's very clearly acting in this documentary. <laughs> I only remember the parts where he's trashing Donovan. Oh, that's what I call a loser. Yeah, which are the best parts, <laughs> yeah. 
uh, I saw that you hadn't done that on here, by the way. If you ever want to have me back. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> yeah, dude. That'd be a good way to do it. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, I almost expected us to touch base on that when we were going b- back and forth a little bit. I noticed you didn't uh, respond to hunks with hats. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'll probably get Stuart to do that one. That would be a good choice, honestly. Here's the other thing about this is the human eye is a camera. So yeah. again, like we know for a fact that our brain is filling in blanks that our senses aren't like we have holes in the data that we're taking into the world, you know. Uh eyewitness testimony is unreliable a lot of times in mm-hmm. court proceedings. Like that's the least reliable form of evidence, I believe. Yeah. Because everyone knows that human memory is flawed and even human perception is flawed. So like, again, on the surface, this is about hucksterism and fakers, but- I'm a charlatan. Really, there's a lot going on here. Going back to my art school pre-dropout days, I uh, they always made it a point that everything you see, you look at a flat image and your brain makes it all about the mm-hmm. environment, but yeah. it's not the fucking environment. It's just exactly what you're seeing. And that's all over this. And I mean, and it, it sort of is a documentary because we do get these versions of these stories. We get Clifford and Edith Irving. We get Elmir and Orson Welles, who is also very much a huckster. I'm a charlatan. This is sort of a documentary about them, but obviously including a lot of falsehoods in every one of those stories. And it's also sort of a documentary about what Orson Welles did when he was hired to edit a different documentary, you know? Yeah. Sort of like how um, Charlie Kaufman, uh, Adaptation, you know, that, right. that's sort of a documentary about what he did when he was hired to turn a book about flowers into a movie starring Nicolas Cage. A lot of critics are calling this movie like a film essay. And yeah. really, there are not many movies like this out there. I've never seen. We Maybe uh, there's that Salvador Dali one. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-mm. I'm never going to remember. It, it's it's Adventures in Upper Mongolia, maybe, is the name of it. I, it's something like that. It's amazing. Uh, there's a part where he, you're looking at a scene that looks like a Dolly painting, and he's talking blah, blah, blah about what it is, and it's just on the screen for a long time, and then it pulls out, and it's like the tip of a ballpoint pen, and he's just been lying to you the whole time. Dehori's story. Mm-hmm. Who is Elmia? He's bitter. He yeah, comes off a little bitter. I think so. But he's also somehow in... And being able to be this master forger. You told me about that yeah. We see him drawing Matisse's and Molinier's and like burning them. They are paintings in the style in the of style. these artists, right? And so I assume like, well, I don't have these Matisse's in front of me to contrast and compare. Mm-hmm. But people around him are like, wow, this dude's the shit. You told me about that yeah. This is almost his fuck you to this art high society. Oh, yeah. To, to, to make it clear that there is no such thing as expertise. And I really feel him on this as someone who was a studio art major. I feel like that is revealed late in the game on the thing, but I do agree that's very much. I mean, the point of this movie is kind of that the entire art market is bullshit, full of frauds. They know they're frauds. They're scamming you. And it's it's. I mean, it seems like it's pretty disgusting if it's anything remotely like what is portrayed in F for Fake. I'd say it's pretty close, (laughs) but it is fascinating how Dahori can maneuver it. He's kind of against it, but he's more than happy to play within it. And so, and how we got here is you were talking about him painting these paintings and throwing them in the fire and these people are standing around being very impressed and everything. There are people who think that's all bullshit acting too. Yeah. That like, he's really not that good of a forger. He didn't do all these forgeries. And I, I mean, if you look into it, he was getting caught pretty early in the game. I mean, he got busted in like 1955. He tried to sell a painting to someone who got busted in 1955, I think on two different occasions in the mid 50s. And by the 60s, it was real hot for this dude. You know, he wasn't getting away with this shit. So you got to ask yourself, was he actually this good, especially when it gets into the second story in this thing (laughs) of the Clifford Irving, Howard Hughes thing, which is we all know standing on the side of history, he's admitted that it was a hoax. So if this dude's a liar, when did he start lying? Yeah. I mean, Elmir says that no museum ever turned down one of them. That's what he says. That's what he says. He's a fucking liar. Though. <laughs> Clifford Irving wrote the book Fake about Elmer Dehori. And Clifford Irving, he put out some fiction novels that did not go anywhere. I tried to look them up on Amazon. They have no reviews. Oh, no, no, yeah. Because he's not a good writer. <laughs> no. But he did make his bones writing fake and would later write, as you mentioned, a story on Howard Hughes. And, and you've got Wells is insisting that Elmer is such a great forger that. Artists who Elmir has forged paintings in their style 
claimed to have painted the forgeries that Omir did. That, I mean, that's Wells is making this claim. I don't, I mean, one of these artists would have to be a moron to confirm that this happened. So there's right. just no way to know, yeah. you know? And that's the great thing about making up bullshit is if you make up a story that it's more dangerous for someone to deny than to just ignore, it gets to live. Let's talk about just momentarily about what Orson Welles is dressed as. And I'm, oh, yeah. I'm fucking obsessed. I want this outfit. Are we talking about the cape? Yeah, he's oh, wearing yeah. a cape. I guess a little suit under it. Got this long... He looks like a Bond villain, basically. Mm. It looks like he's going to attack the planet with weather-controlled satellites. I'm a charlatan. There are amazing clothes in this in this film. There's a there's just... A, there's Someone's wearing a Porky Pig shirt that I'd probably kill someone yeah. to have. I think yeah. Francois wearing <laughs> that, Yeah, I think so, yeah. Clifford Irving talks about the social experiments he ran, like to try to fool art dealers. He's that quote that he gives after that. I lost my faith in expertise because he set up this little like here are three Modigliani's or whatever the hell. Yeah, he had a picture yeah. and he said, oh, the, this is a fake. And so I was like, yeah, of course it yeah. is. Of course it is. But then and when he told him it was real. Then yeah. they were like, yeah, yeah, of course. So mm -hmm. bullshit, bullshit. Our world is bullshit. And I, I I do think that Omir very much wanted to expose that, probably out of frustration for his own art not being successful. But when confronted directly and asked for a straight answer on whether he's been doing this, he's always very vague. Well, the, so one thing that I really thought was interesting is Elmir insists he has done nothing wrong. He, he says, he, I never did anything wrong. You know, what I did was not wrong, but Clifford Irving always points out that Elmir has to lie in order to do that. You know, he, he says, I never signed any of the paintings. And then there's this long extended scene where it's Clifford Irving and Elmir, and we're supposed to believe that they are having a conversation with each other. But if you look into this, you'll find out that they're not in the same room at mm. all like this is just two conversations that are cut and spliced together also there's a monkey that comes yeah and goes, why does he have a monkey? a monkey there are so many affectations in this there are so many giant egos in this yeah like elmir loves reading about himself when he's reading about himself in the newspaper they he has he's at party he's hosting parties yeah he's reading about himself to other people at parties listen to this about me you know what's going to happen at an elmir party He's going to read articles about himself. He's like the Lenny Bruce of art forgers. And then when you're watching this, it's that was a really good joke. I, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> it took me a minute to figure out you know, the, the court transcriptions. I got it. That's, that's good. What's really interesting watching it is like Clifford Irving will talk about Elmir and Elmir will talk about Clifford Irving and they'll both kind of insult each other and poke at each other a little bit. But they're talking about themselves at the same time because they're, they're both the fraud that they're talking about the other one being mm. and they've each convinced themselves that they are somehow a legitimate artist you know and also i don't even know after watching this if they are or are not yeah i have no idea is that even their names <laughs> i don't know if they're artists you know i don't know <laughs> no. what i mean like it's pretty but is it art is the quote that orson keeps throwing in they're on abiza island this is off the coast of spain mm -hmm. right yeah uh, Ibiza Island. I love this part while Elmer's describing Ibiza. Ibiza is not a place of snobbish society. That's not London. It's not Paris. It's, it's not Omaha. So it's not Omaha. It's Ibiza. No shit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Just this flowery way of saying nothing, pretty <laughs> well, much. Well, everyone's trying to speak in these flowery epithets, you know, that you could like, like write that down. I said, I just said that. That sounded cool. Write that down. Like, as if they've got someone following them around yeah. with a pad and pay, a pen, you know? They're really, they're all huffing themselves. <laughs> oh, they're real into themselves. There's a kid that shows up in this movie that they don't spend much time the, on. The and, blood boy? Yeah. The <laughs> bodyguard, quote unquote. Several months ago. I read an article about Elmir Dehori, and I was so impressed that I decided to come from Minnesota to Ibiza in the hope of meeting Elmir. And now I've become his bodyguard. I think his official real life title was personal assistant, but also <laughs> Elmir is like very clearly a gay man. It, yeah. it, they don't say it in the film. But when they're talking about him being imprisoned, he—that's what he was imprisoned for—was homosexuality. Oh, really? Yeah, it wasn't because it's so. They talk about it in this. It's so hard to to convict someone for art forgery. Yeah. You basically have to have 
like documentation of every step of the way and intent, like proof of intent. France requires two witnesses. It's yeah, they couldn't get him on that. So they got him on homosexuality, not really being able to show where his money was coming from right. and associating with known criminals. Yeah, that's why he did time. That's I didn't know he went to jail for that. I just thought maybe they found an angle on him. There are so many lies in this. That's it's I I just so Elmir paints Michelangelo and we're told that Michelangelo is some kind of great art forger, you know, yeah. like Michelangelo is forging his ass off is what they make it seem like. But if you look into it, there is before anyone knew who he was, Michelangelo did one statue, one. Yeah. And then it was sold to a cardinal in the Catholic Church who immediately realized that it was a fake. It had been artificially aged to mm. look like an antique, but he got mad at the art dealer, not the artist. And there's no reason to assume that it wasn't the art dealer who artificially aged the antique, especially because if we can believe F for fake, art dealers are all, all scumbags. They're all bullshit. So yeah, the Cardinal gets pissed at the art dealer and, but bring me that artist. And Michelangelo is called to Rome and the rest is history. No more forgeries associated with him ever. He signs this portrait with Orson Welles' yeah, name. Yeah. He misspells his last name. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> I don't, he probably like never, somebody was probably like, what's your last name? As he was painting it. Right. I, he's, that's how into himself he is that Orson Welles could be around and it's like, who's that? But there's like a hotness surrounding these, these alleged fakes that had come from Elmir. He's still kind of an art rock star just from yeah. this reputation. Well, there's, that's all that there is though, is the, he's, there's just fame here because he doesn't, we find out that he doesn't get rich. He at no point. Did he make money really on this? He's living in a very sweet villa on Ibiza, yeah. but it ain't his. You know, no. it's it's the art dealer who was getting way more money off of these forgeries who was like, well, I'll let you live here. Just keep doing this. I mean, that's almost slavery. Yeah. I mean, it's at least indentured servitude, right? Yeah. Of some kind. I got a quote of Orson here. He says, we hanky-panky men have always been with you. That's a fact. What's new? Are they? The experts. The experts. The so-called experts. Experts are the new oracles. Who are greatly pretentious. They speak to us with the absolute authority of the computer. Pretend to know something, but they only know very superficially. And we bow down before them. He's not lying. I just love calling it hanky-panky men. Hanky-panky men. I'm going to reincorporate that oh, into my vocabulary. Dude, if you think Orson Welles doesn't own a thesaurus, <laughs> there are so many different words for con artist. Charlton, Baker, forger, hanky-panky men. The devil, the magician, sir. Experts, forked radish. Style in this movie is amazing. Elmir is wearing like a big belt. Would, and also, shouldn't if you're if you make your living faking the work of other people, wouldn't you maybe want to draw as little attention to yourself as possible? <laughs> I would think he's wearing this necklace that with oh. talons looks like he got it from Wakanda or some. It shit. weighs fifteen pounds. It's really really sad to me to watch Elmir in this because he needs to be recognized so bad and. If that's the reason why you create, I'm not surprised that people don't like it. Irving says that. I think Elmer's problem for years, the, and the reason why he could not succeed as a painter in his own right, was that the type of life he led prohibited him from having a personal vision. Bullshit. When an artist has no personal vision, what they can communicate to the camera is bullshit. This yeah. is how we get bullshit artists. Elmir says, I don't feel bad for Modigliani. Uh, I feel good for me. Elmir, he does a, a Matisse-like drawing, and he says that he has to hold back to, to emulate <laughs> yeah. Matisse. It wasn't as flowing. It wasn't as sure as mine. I had to hesitate. To make it more Matisse-like. Which is what you would say. Yeah. <laughs> he has to suck to be more Matisse-like. That's Well, this is a very common thing amongst art forgers, is my understanding. And, and of course it would be. If you can convince everyone that you are not only one great master, but multiple great masters, that's, I mean, it's a joke at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, art forgers, that specific crime has got to be one of the most romanticized but you have to have a genuine talent to be able to pull it off what you just said is is i believe very true for a different reason which is again if we can trust what we see in this 
forgeries being passed off as authentic may not have very much to do with that forger being just that good of an artist. Like often the art dealer is complicit. Often the museum curator is complicit in this, you know, because they're going to look like an asshole. Especially if they didn't know, they're yeah. going to look like an asshole. They cannot admit it. That would destroy their reputation. Yeah, you're done. Your career's literally over. Crimes surrounding art are always romanticized. Most Thomas art- Crown Affair, baby. <laughs> you left yourself wide open. I'm all flushed. How many people can forge a Monet? Five? Maybe six? Come on. I'm sure I can't be arrested for a joke. <laughs> most art crime literally consists of people trying to rip things off of walls mm-hmm. and taking the fuck off running out of the museum. It's almost kind of a joke. The reality Just of crackheads. the majority <laughs> of the French crackheads <laughs> getting tackled before they even get out the door. And, and then this moves pretty heavily into the Clifford Irving and his wife faking the Howard Hughes book. His wife is was that his wife Nina, the singing baroness? Clifford and Edith, Edith, and then uh, she went by some. Oh man, the I'm blonde, like, the blonde German or Belgian. I think woman? that was maybe like an ex girlfriend of. Oh, they were Clifford's hooked up or something at maybe. the time. Maybe something like that. But she was like a apparently a folk singer. A surface review on her on video showed not much, but yeah. there's her most famous video is like a Christmas song. Yuletide carols being sung by a choir. Which I guess is a problem. There are a few people in this who are presented as if they matter. Yeah. And maybe they look like they were about to matter at the time, and then they ended up not really mattering. Even people like Clifford Irving, who yeah. you who is revealed to be an actual fake. Orson Welles calls him the most famous writer on the planet in this. <laughs> and it's like, really, guy? Maybe that year. Maybe the year that you made yeah, this, yeah. you know. Because <laughs> like we stated, he's a failed novelist. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guarantee you, if I walk up to a hundred people on the street and ask them if they know who Clifford Irving is. No one. You know, I mean, like, obviously the odds would go way up the older the person I'm talking to. Yeah. But yeah, it's, this is not relevant to today's world, really. We meet another painter, David Walsh. He painted Im- images in Irving's book on Howard Hughes. So a lot of the image we know of Howard Hughes when he's old and nuts, long fingernails, long hair. Yeah. A lot of that is from, I, even though this book is fake, there might be some measure of truth. Maybe he did get a source of someone who saw Hughes mm-hmm. because isn't there like a, a, the aviator or some shit? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't he have like, it do, I mean, that's the, that's the myth. You yeah. know, I don't, I don't really, I haven't looked into the Hughes story myself deep enough to know which sources I would or wouldn't trust. What I think is interesting about for fake and Orson Welles choices here though, is he sort of recreates Irving's version of how this all happened. He, he like walks us through it documentary style before telling us that it's not real and i mean there's this psychological phenomenon that we know about where you can tell someone of did you know like here's a fact and then i just made that up like they'll go and spread that fact around they just forget the part where you told them that's not true they just remember the thing that they thought was really interesting so he's sort of like legitimizing the hell out of this false narrative now he was just to catch up on who he's all about he's a tycoon and infamously OCD. The setting we see in this movie is he's in Vegas. He They say he bought off the mob and he bought off like all these hotels, shuffling around these top penthouses. Curtains never open. So he becomes this enigma yeah. to society. And so Clifford Irving is like, wouldn't it be cool? I could just <laughs> tell this story. This guy's not talking. He anymore. would have to come out of hiding to say I'm lying. Yeah. So he writes this whole book, makes this claim that only he is talking to Howard Hughes. Mormons are involved in some rando way. Because well, we we're... should we should point out though that Clifford Irving makes this decision after writing a biography on Elmire. Oh right. He writes a biography on Elmire and then moves into I'm going to write this fake Howard Hughes book. The Elmire book comes first, right? And he takes some good lessons. It's from yeah. That book. Is that that's the question? And I don't know if Orson Welles even has his mind made up. When did Clifford Irving? become a liar yeah when did that happen because once once he admits that this book is a hoax you've got to go retroactive you gotta be like wait a minute you didn't start lying (laughs) like this you didn't get caught the first time you told a lie right so what the hell so we so there's just there there really is no way to know what is actually happening at any given moment here 
Irving's claiming a lot of he could be making up all these witnesses, people claiming that they saw Howard Hughes on the street wearing Kleenex boxes on his feet. Yeah. And some about a ham sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a fucking tree. Like a, a nightly ham sandwich drop. There's so much in this movie <laughs> that you think it's going to come back and something's really going to matter and it just moves forward. Yeah. There's a lot of that. At one point, we see Clifford Irving on camera and he's talking about the lies that he knows are in the book he wrote about Elmir. He's saying that someone contacted him and told him that Elmir's official story of Elmir's own background. Uh, El- Elmir lied and said he was from aristocracy and he even forged some painting by that was supposed to be by some famous painter of Elmir and Elmir's brother to show that he was aris- like from the aristocracy. Supposedly Clifford Irving then received a letter from someone who said they were in uh, an internment camp with yeah. Elmir or something like that and he was pretty middle class and hungry yeah. and i mean if you again if you look into elmir's background you find out that he got into some trouble for like check forgery and stuff before he got into art forgery yeah. so he's just like a con artist you know francois claimed that he got a lot of paintings mm-hmm. off elmir and the check he, when he demanded a check for one of the forgeries yeah that elmir handed him a bounce check yeah yeah it's francois totally true was he really uh, see you, you're forced to question everything but and so then you you really don't know. It, Clifford's telling you there are lies in the book that I wrote about Elmir de Hori, but I we don't know when he knew they were lies. Right. And also, I, I'm going to go ahead and guess that he didn't try very hard to fact check any of this stuff. No. From a person that he knew for a fact is a liar because he's an art forger. Of course, you should would try to fact check this stuff, wouldn't you? If you care. Yes. But you know, lying makes him a lot of money. Mm. And, Bo- and it's the same art dealer principle. Like, yeah. why would I ask? I mean, once it once that once that bank account starts swelling, <laughs> there's no going back. Yeah. It also, here's something else about this. I was thinking about this when it was showing the Hughes press conference, where Hughes does come out and talk and say, "I've never met Clifford Irving in my life." You know, I found out about this three days ago. At first, he <laughs> didn't come out. He was such a oh, recluse yeah. that he held off. And then there's a press conference surrounding an uh, a, a intercom speaker, '70s style, mm-hmm. nice circle. Like an Art Deco looking. And Orson voiceover. Was that the voice of the real Howard Hughes? You're like, yeah, I don't know. It might not be. (laughs) And then also, these are super real, like, these are super modern concerns, by the way. Did you see the other day that uh, the White House press secretary tweeted out a doctored video? That was fun. That Acosta bullshit. Yeah, I'm glad we're here now. But this is, this is what I'm saying. Like, this is, people should probably watch this documentary is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) On the Criterion Edition, which I have brag uh, <laughs> uh, there's a there's a a question you can play all of the howard hughes interview oh cool and it's pretty much you got to play it one question at a time and it's just howard hughes saying i don't know this fucking dude and also howard hughes being like i swear to god i'm not crazy <laughs> but he was crazy well yeah one out of two of those things is for sure a lie so you know orson says something interesting about howard hughes he questions like maybe this guy is a loser well that was supposed to be based on a quote from a woman who is one of Hughes' romantic interests i believe yeah and she said maybe that's kind of a part of his charm yeah uh, well like a, like a, like seeing a loser get lucky yeah. you know like even the losers tom petty maybe. There's one part where Orson Welles is talking about how he's dealing with an art dealer and he straight up tells him this is a forgery of Lautrec and the the dealer says to Orson, quote, I'll take the Lautrec and if you happen to find any more, bring them in, end quote. (laughs) Man, just crooked. And oh, did you think all that stuff about Hungarians was a little strange? Yeah, (laughs) like there's like a five minute bit on how shady Hungarians are. Like all Hungarians, he told the best Hungarian jokes. The the, the omelet, you know that, don't you? Sure, it's it's a classic, an omelet. It's in our Hungarian cookbook. Uh, To make an omelet, it says, first, steal an egg he's in a restaurant all this food is coming to this table i don't know what orson's guests are eating but i assume all that food's <laughs> for him and uh but yeah he's talking about how hungarians because elmir is hungarian well naturally to be hungarian is not a nationality it's a profession how they're all inherently uh thieving it's not well it may not be as offensive as it <laughs> first seems because orson says he doesn't believe this he says yeah. that every hungarian man that he's ever met 
wants Orson to believe that the Hungarian man is a king of con men or a yeah. king amongst con men or something like that. But really, they're no more. I mean, I, I honestly, I've tried to look into that before, too. Like, is there a culture of oh, trickery or whatever you want to call it in um, Hungarian culture? And I, re- I did, didn't really come up with anything. If no. anyone's listening to this and you happen to know something, I would be interested to find out. If you know some Hungarian thieves, contact us, podcast at Gmail. And then right, pretty soon after that Hungarian stuff, Orson just takes a hard left into, by the way, let's talk about me. I, well, I was an artist. I thought I was anyway. Like Elmir, I too was once a hungry painter, but not here in France. No, I was hungry in Ireland. I'd come there to paint, bought a donkey and cart, filled the cart with paints and canvases, and went traveling. <laughs> his favorite subject. Yeah. So he tells a story about how he painted his he, he painted his own way across Ireland when he was 16, you know, right. pa- painting something and giving it to a farmer for food and lodging he, and making his way. He claimed to be a big time New York artist. And the, the, the way he tells it, you you wonder if he's making this shit up, but then he goes right into the War of the Worlds thing and we know that happened. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and also that's way crazier than that he might right. have painted his way across Ireland. He briefly mentions how they redid the broadcast in South America. I should have done some research before, but yeah. I believe that was in Ecuador, and people fucking rioted, like lighting oh, buildings on fire. They sent the guy who did it to prison, or yeah. says in this. I, I think a that. crowd was trying to kill him. Oh. I might get, be getting that mixed up, but I'm pretty sure it was in Ecuador. And really, that story is more probably more interesting than the American version. Because oh yeah, that's crazy talk. But yeah. ladies going to police stations saying like I've been. Attacked by yeah, Marsh. Assaulted, yeah. You you mentioned this earlier, the close up on the radio, and we're hearing the excerpts of the broadcast of the War of the Worlds, except those aren't excerpts from the broadcast of War of the Worlds. <laughs> Orson went back and just like made new ones that they are were not in the script of the original <laughs> right. teleplay at all. And we see like clips of a newscaster that <laughs> That's it, an actor, yeah. Yeah, that you, it's pretty obvious yeah. he's an actor. Yeah, Orson says that he talked to a social worker who said they spent weeks getting some families to come back to civilization. This could be a lie. The social worker could be lying to Orson Welles to impress Orson Welles. It could have happened. I'm starting to ask myself, why does Orson Welles want to do this? Not so much make a movie about trickery. Obviously, that's something that he's been interested in his entire life. He loves doing magic tricks. But but why does he want to show everyone how the trick is done is the thing. Like, why does he want to... Because that's the number one rule. Yeah. You never, ever do that. You're right. And we'll get into it more when we talk about the end of the film, but he almost, like, can't help himself. Yeah, I tricked you. He's like, he loves explaining that. This is a never-ending onion, man. I could not go make this movie. You know, if I truly understood how a trick was done, I should then be able to go and perform that trick. There's no way I could go do this. The only thing I believe is that o- Oya Kodar was shoved into a suitcase. <laughs> That's the only thing I believe in this movie. She, uh... Seemed like a woman of many talents. <laughs> I don't normally do a lot of uh, research around a lot of the movies we watch. I kind of want it to just kind of be surface. Well, normally, normally the research is the documentary. Normally you would do research by watching a documentary on the subject and it would educate you. <laughs> I find myself saying, I just want to know a little bit about this one thing and then going down a rabbit hole yeah. of information. And it, it just couldn't stop. I had to stop myself. Well, that's that's in the nature of this film. The, the way that these stories are interconnected is so crazy. Elmir alone, Elmir, if we can believe it, Elmir's impact on the art world was massive. Yeah. And then obviously the, this Howard Hughes book hoax was also massive. And then Orson Welles getting involved in either one of these things would be pretty cool and strange and, you know, interesting. But all of it happening together and like th- these stories are pretty much all married forever now as a result of this. You can't really look at one without looking at all three. I liked it when uh, he sort of played along with the idea that Clifford might have been the one getting suckered by, you know, maybe Howard Hughes or someone just <laughs> pretending to be Howard Hughes for some reason. It's a fun thought. Yeah. It seemed like it would be. Well, it, it's it's easy to think that thought because if you don't see Howard in front of you, like it could be that. It's hard not to. Well, think Wells that. even brings up that Howard Hughes was known to use doubles. doubles. Like he would send doubles to confuse the like, paparazzi. Like Saddam Hussein. It could be but i mean then of course clifford admitted that it was a hoax so yeah we we talked to actor joe cotton who was originally supposed to play the the tycoon role in uh citizen kane mm-hmm. and then that tycoon became like a newspaper tycoon and orson took well, over. and the, the tycoon role was originally supposed to be howard hughes right yeah. 
or and base that, yeah. upon it. And Joe Cotton states, Yes, I was just wondering if I would have been the first or the last to impersonate Howard Hughes. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. We needed more confusion. I liked it. That also makes me think of the story that Orson tells about Picasso being asked to verify a bunch of Picassos. You yeah. know, they're showing Picasso his what are supposed to be paintings by him. Did you do these? No, no, no. On the last <laughs> one, the person says, well, Pablo, I watched you. I was standing there when you painted this one. Picasso says something like, I can paint a fake Picasso better than anyone. You know? <laughs> we see a part where Orson's in the flowers with some hippies doing some hippie shit. Yeah, what the hell was that? I don't know what was going on it's there. Like, dude, ticks. Ticks. <laughs> well, they're, they're, I don't know if that's the same part, but there's that montage where he's sitting on a bench and it sort of time lapses yeah. through the seasons. And he, he talks about how eventually all of existence will dissipate into nothingness. And yeah, not far the, after that. In the end, what what does a man's name mean anyways? Or how much is a man's name worth anyways? I, I mean, we're going back. It seems like we're going back and forth really the quick. The movie does. The movie does. Yeah. The movie's even faster than we're oh, talking yeah. right This now. movie's on blow. Yeah, yeah. This is the sped up as hell. It's, I mean, it's, there are probably Tyler Durden still <laughs> frames in this that people have never found. Oh, well, now I'm going to go back. <laughs> frame by frame, frame, baby. Yeah. New look for, podcast. Look for giant erections. <laughs> Did we talk about how El Elmir insisted that he never signed the paintings? We, we talked about the conversation that they were having mm. where, where it, it was faked, but Elmir does insist that he never signed these paintings. Maybe insinuating that it was the art dealer who put the signature on afterward. Yeah. Clifford Irving obviously doesn't think that Elmir's telling the truth about this. You know, is if, it is it because it's officially a crime if he signs someone else's name onto it? That is the, uh, the that idea. is one of the reasons. Yeah. And, but there's a pause. Uh, yeah. Elmer says, "I never sent any painting anyway. That's a very important matter." Of course they were signed. Well, Clifford Irving says, quote, of course they were signed, end quote. <laughs> of course they were signed. signed. But yeah. that even that leaves the door open that maybe Elmir didn't sign them. Like maybe Clifford is just acting as if he's calling Elmir out on his bullshit, by the way, for a conversation that he knows is going to have to be cut and stitched together because he knows he's not sitting in a room with Elmir while he's having this conversation with Elmir. Yeah. This is insane, man. We get some story about how Elmir, he's on a visa in the US, it runs out and he's just running from the police. For 12 years, he's just living in America without a green card or ha visa. Ha using paintings hand to mouth, pretty much moving from Canada to Mexico and all places in between. He gets locked up, I guess that's when he's- That's the, yeah. This, I mean, it actually gets really sad, the whole Elmir story, because yeah. he- Not long after this movie was released. Mm -hmm. The Spanish government agreed to extradite him to France to face fraud charges, which is, you're gonna go up for everything that you've yeah. done. And he, Elmir committed suicide instead of facing life. the sentence. In 76, the same year Howard Hughes dies. That's, I did not know that part. Yeah. Did you know that apparently Elmir's tombstone reads that he was born five years later than he actually was? <laughs> <laughs> which is just perfect. It's you know? just funny yeah. at this point. But now we get to talk about the end of this thing, which is just, I mean, we could yeah. probably do another hour right now on also, just the end of this. Also, fun fact, Howard Hughes dated Rita Hayworth, who was Orson Welles' second wife. Yeah. Well, Man. When on the timeline? I think it's 50s okay. when, when he's with Rita. Okay. Second wife. Um, well, hey, Hughes, gosh, I don't know. Because this is something that I was also curious about. I didn't put this in my notes. I really didn't, didn't plan to talk about it. But I want to say that Orson Welles was pretty famously a vindictive motherfucker, right? I would bet. So, like, this whole thing could have just been some art dealer piss him off. One. <laughs> One person. Like, this could be the most epic hate letter ever written. Wow. Like, like Bob Dylan's idiot win. Definitely doesn't make the art industry look smart. Oh, no. For no. sure. But he also understands that Orson, in his own way and through the knowledge of what he loves, is a part of it. Oh, very much. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, it's it's that's the thing is it's it, you can't take any of this at face value. It's so confusing. This has to be the most confusing documentary that you've talked yeah. about on this on this podcast, no doubt. right? Yeah. 
it's also kind of the most probably film school kind of episode <laughs> well, we're going to have. That's here. The, I mean, I said that to you before we started. This whole thing is just a tour de force of editing. It's just a master class in editing. If you're an editor and you haven't seen this, please watch this as soon as you can. I know just editing a fucking podcast. Oh, yeah. Like if I can get a half hour done in three hours, I'm flying. Oh, yeah. I'm fucking flying. And I know Cocaine and Rhinestones, you obviously put a lot of work into that Oh, show. that takes a long time to edit for sure. And yeah. it shows. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. The end. Oya Kodar. There was something funny. I told you uh, I also own the Criterion Collection <laughs> uh, of this. However, I wasn't able to locate a DVD player to watch it <laughs> because those are antiques. Fancy in one way. And, uh... <laughs> yeah. So I ended up watching this on Filmstruck, soon to be rest in peace, y'all. Not happy about that. Oh, and their closed caption options were very clearly based on just trying to guess phonetically what people were saying. <laughs> so in the very beginning of this, when Orson Welles is talking about Oya Kodar and we're seeing her walk around and everything, when he starts talking about how we'll return to this at the end of the film, my subtitles at one point had him calling her Miss Coda. C-O-D-A, which musically is a term for a segment of music at the end of a musical piece. So it was just a really weird thing. I don't know if he was into wordplay on that level and did that on purpose. I have no idea. But again, the only reason that that scene is in the beginning of this thing and and also i want to say it's in the part where he's supposed to have made the pledge to not be lying to us which of course we've detailed how he's just been lying his ass off this entire time why not i'm a charlatan the only reason this movie starts with scenes of oya kodar walking and men supposedly ogling her is to set us up to buy into this epic fucking spoiler alert please like seriously if you haven't seen this go watch yeah, it go watch like it. this is one of the biggest spoilers of your life i promise you this is such a mind-blowing thing when it happens it's so great but i'm gonna spoil it for you now three two one this epic fucking lie that orson <laughs> wells tells about pablo picasso going to some town i don't remember what the town was it was it tucson tucson yeah yeah, yeah it was tucson and because he wanted to go there to paint, I think. But then he goes there and there's this trombonist, an aspiring trombonist, who sets up right outside his window and practices every day and drives him batshit insane, keeps him from being able to paint. And then pretty soon there's what Orson calls another distraction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She comes walking by. Picasso gets obsessed well she she apparently she walks by just several several times a day maybe costume changes if we can believe you know what we're seeing and this is this is recreated for us docudrama style as has everything else in the yeah. in the film so we see oya in i don't know conservatively ten, conservatively 10 different real crazy scanty revealing yeah, outfits yeah. that i mean i have no idea how much those outfits cost but shout out to her for getting an orson welles film to pay for it all like a beach wear oh, yeah. runway picasso gets obsessed with this pretty lady walking by and of course we believe this because we've we've had we've, precedent set yeah. for us this is how men react when this woman walks down the street therefore and, this is how pablo picasso would act and it makes sense and when you see her like yeah of oh, course and it's he's very he was a very famous horny old yeah. dirty man you know he starts painting her there are supposed to be 22 paintings that picasso gives to oya she's like thanks peace i'm out of here next thing you know there's a gallery opening in is it France? Another country, for I, sure. I can't, yeah, I can't remember. It's another country where there's a, a gallery of 22 oh. new Picasso. And he goes there. He's like, he's real mad, you know? So he goes there to find out what the hell is going on, goes into the gallery, and none of the Picassos are what he painted. Yeah. They, they're not his. Shows up fucking pissed, and then his emotions sink because they're, they're not his painting. But everyone loves them. Yeah, and they're all <laughs> patting them on the back. Everyone loves them, and he's, there's Oya. And she takes him to who painted the forgeries. Her grandfather. Her, her grandfather, who's a great art forger. He painted this da Vinci that is hanging, in, a very famous da Vinci, as any da Vinci would be, sure. that's hanging in a museum. And Oya's grandfather and Picasso have this real sort of trying to define what is and isn't art, what is and isn't creativity or fame or skill or beauty. I don't know. Recreated from Orson having a dialogue as the grandfather. 
And Oya as Picasso. Pablo, yeah. He painted every last one of those phony Picassos of you. For every last one of which Picasso was very highly praised. But not to put it mildly, highly pleased. You must have known you couldn't get away with it. I got to meet Picasso. And they're in like like shadows and fog yeah. a, uh, sort of set. In this conversation, Picasso's finally at the end of it, he's like, fuck it, I'm done with this whole conversation. I don't care. Just give me back my paintings. And the guy's like, well, I can't. I burn them. <laughs> You know, so, so now those are either the Picassos or they aren't. We see a jogging Oya in a blue. <laughs> yeah, why? I don't know. I think just to show off some nipples in yeah, this. Yeah, why not? In this, maybe. Uh, or I think a lot of the Oya shots are just. Um, yeah. Orson. Or Orson's like, this is my girlfriend. Yeah, this is, I'm, na- <laughs> I'm nailing this over here. Yeah, and then Orson comes in with this big reveal, which is that, yeah, I made a promise to you that for the next hour I would tell you nothing but the truth. That hour, ladies and gentlemen, is over. For the past 17 minutes, I've been lying my head off. Which again is misdirection. Like when someone of their own volition offers the information that they have been lying to you, there's another lie, buddy. <laughs> there's a much bigger lie somewhere else. It's just because it's all misdirection. Again, that's why he set up the whole, we'll talk about this again later at the beginning of the movie. It's just, we've already swallowed the hook. Yeah. But, he, but there's one point where he questions the validity of signatures. He puts a, I forget the name of the cathedral, but it's this beautiful cathedral. But the thing about it is no one knows who made it. No mm-hmm. one knows who designed it. That's when he's talking about what's the worth of a man's name. Yeah. And it all grounds into dust. Does that truly matter at the end of the day? And he says, We're going to die. Be of good heart. Cry the dead artists out of the living past. Our songs will all be silenced. But what of it? Go on singing. Maybe a man's name doesn't matter all that much. That's what we've been watching this whole time is Orson's just like, look, man, life might be meaningless. I'm not real sure, but I'm going to have a lot of fun. And that's all I've been doing right now. I can get with that. I mean, it's pretty serious. Like, yeah, what else are you going to do? I I love, I might start watching this on a yearly basis because yeah. I really do notice something new every time. It's just, this is his masterpiece. No, He never finished another project after this. No. Did you know that? There's a movie that came out in this month yeah. on Netflix, The Other Side of yeah. the Wind, I believe. I, it's supposed to be a finished version it's got, of it. Yeah. yeah, John Huston, I, it's, I mean, there had to have been other people other than Orson, but yeah, but yeah as far as like full-on Orson Welles, this is the last movie he made. It feels like there's some weight to that. You know, yeah. I don't want to psychoanalyze a dead guy, yeah. but, you know, it, maybe maybe he couldn't let himself finish something else. Maybe this had to be the last one because this this feels like his heart. You know, this feels yeah. the closest thing to just here is me. And I just want to make sure that's out here in case I'm not always around. You yeah, know? which this movie's so fucking interesting. It, yeah. We we're talking about the editing of it. That takes him so long. Mm-hmm. He said before we started recording, it took him like three years. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's a long fucking just to edit because it was already done mostly. Yeah, shot. All, the, yeah. all the Elmir shit mm-hmm. and the Clifford shit, yeah. that was already recorded by Francois Reichenbach. Reichenbach. Hello. Oh, I think almost all of that was yeah. already shot. Yeah. It was, mo- I think it was mostly the Oya Kodar stuff. And that was just so Orson could fuck with us. I'm a charlatan. While Orson was married at this time and married to this woman until he died, Oya was his mistress. Yeah, yeah. One thing I've never been able to find is why it's called F for fake. I've never seen, maybe Orson Welles did talk about that or someone else did at some point. I never did find out. The explanation that I came up with was that it was the grade he was giving himself for his documentary. (laughs) But you know what? We've reached the end of this movie. Folks, you got to see this movie, but... Definitely do, yeah. But Tyler, we don't rate on a star rating scale. The star rating scale is overused. I hate it so much that I don't even like the stars in the sky anymore. They make me fucking sick. <laughs> we rate on a Herzog rating scale. Revolutionary. Get this. Okay. It's going to blow your mind. 
How many Klaus Kinskis? Is that what it is? Or <laughs> You're going to give this one through five Hertz songs. I'm going to give this one through five Hertz songs. We will combine them like Orson Welles in a buffet for best. I mean, this gets as many anything as I can give it for sure. Yeah. So you're going to you, all the way. You're five. already yeah. like five Hertz songs. Yeah, man. I mean, well, you uh, you invited me to come on the show mm. and I was given the pick of any documentary. and I went and looked through them and this is the one I came up with. So I'm, I backed this pretty hard. Yeah. I think you would have given hunks with hats five. I've watched a little bit of it. It's at least a three. There's only like 3,000 views on it. I really want to get those numbers up. Oh, I bet I could get those numbers oh. up if you want. <laughs> but you know what? It does, we already went through it. I give it five, too. Yeah. That's perfect. That's great. I love TLC, too, so I'm real happy great. about that. Ooh, yeah. on the TLC tip? Oh, yeah. What a fucking amazing oh, yeah. record that Dungeon is. Dungeon family, y'all. You know, Outkast is part uh, of the I might, yeah. I, dude, I rap Outkast pretty hard. On your episode of your favorite band sucks. You said something very true that a lot, a lot of people, I'm an outcast fan. I love that group. Yeah. But you said something that people don't say enough of is that big boy is the better half. Oh buddy. Group. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, definitely. If, if you like outcast and you're not paying attention to big boy, you should be paying yeah. attention to big boy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think real outcast fans know that. I yeah. just think it's the basic, uh, basic bitches of yeah. the world <laughs> of all genders. Yeah, who like, think I, that. Peace yeah. point. Smoke some dang. So yeah, Tyler, thank you so much for being this on the show. Amazing. Again, in a few months, if you want to watch Don't Look Back, I'll, I can talk about that forever too. <laughs> Absolutely. And I really appreciate it. You're coming down into my beautiful home. Oh, this is great. Yeah. Hanging and, out with the dogs. It's all good. And uh, don't ask him when fucking season two is coming out. He's getting to it. <laughs> I'm working real hard on it. And don't give him requests. He'll get to it. <laughs> it's true. I'm sure you'll <laughs> do an episode on John Anderson Straight Tequila Nights. Oh, don't ask her on a straight tequila night. She'll start thinking about him. And she's ready to fight. Blames her broken heart on every man inside. John Anderson is one of my absolute favorites. Wild and good, it's no one. I look at the things that you do. They could just take you up a yonder, honey. You're already wild and blue. I happen to be aware of the fact that John Anderson fans should be pretty excited. Whoa! I like hanging around in a honky-tonk crowd. Probably all I can say. That song's in my, been in my brain for like a month. I can't yeah? get it out. Oh, he's, yeah, he's one of the best of all time. But Tyler, that's the movie F for Fake by Orson Welles. 10 out of 10 hertz. Yeah, I mean, straight up buy this and just watch it. Yeah. Get it. And, you know, something we, that we haven't talked a lot about when talking about documentaries that really we've only been talking about very recently is that documentaries are often misleading. They are manipulative. And while you can question whether or not this is a documentary, there is like an important lesson in this movie that you can apply to watching future documentaries. Yeah, don't, I mean, you should never believe someone just because they're talking to you. Yeah. Of course. No, I mean, definitely, if someone's telling you a story, ask them where they heard that story from, for sure. It's yeah. so important. I mean, in recent memory, that Making a Murder documentary, yeah. I mean, apparently they did a lot they, of rearranging. He he killed that woman. He killed that woman. I, don't, I mean, I haven't paid a lot of attention to that story, mm. but I, do, I have seen enough to know that there was some like creative decisions being made in how to present that information. People have been asking if we're going to do season two of that. I don't think we will. But I'll tell you what, I think uh, he did it. I don't know if Dassey did it, but he did it. <laughs> I mean, if Dassey did do anything, if, I would say he's probably not responsible yeah. he yeah. seems like if lower Dassey, than dumb if Dassey's lying he's the greatest actor mm. and he's orson wells level yeah he's wasting his talents yeah in jail get out of jail and go to yeah. hollywood Dassey. yeah tyler thank you for being on the show <laughs> yes sir fun love it fun times hell yeah all right man keep on docking see ya
make sure that butthole is nice and loose. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. Do you really mean that? I, yeah, so in other words, I'd, I'd start half a second late. Don't you think you really want to say July over the snow? Isn't that the fun of it? It's, it, if you make it almost when that shot disappears, it'll make my... I think it's so nice that, that you see a snow-covered field and say every July peas grow there. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. We aren't even in the fields, you see. Yeah, we are. We're talking about them growing, and she's picked them. Yeah. On what? On in July. I don't understand you, then. When must... What must be over for July? Um, when we get out of that snowy field. When I was out, we were onto a can of peas, a big dish of peas, when I said in July. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, always. I'm always past that. Yes. Well, that's about where I say in July. Could you emphasize a bit in? In July. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Sorry. Um, There's no known way of saying an English sentence in which you begin a sentence with in and emphasize it. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll go down on you. Well, thank you so much. Tell me what you gonna do now. Freeze it now, freeze it.